Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Unseen Beings podcast. This is Eric Jampa Anderson, your host and the author of Unseen Beings, How We Forgot the World is More Than Human. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the complex relationship between religion, myth, and belief, and the roles that each of them play in addressing the important questions of life. Before we get started, I just want to give a quick shout out to my Patreon supporters, especially Heidi Wong, Robin Greenfield, and Eugen. Thank you all very much for your support. And if you want to support this podcast and my other projects, please check out patreon.com slash ericjampa. That's E-R-I-K-J-A-M-P-A. Many of us take for granted the idea that religiosity is typified by belief in a certain set of religious doctrine, and in many cases, the belief in the historicity of a particular set of religious myths. We also tend to take for granted that these endeavors address the big questions of life, like how the universe came into existence, whether or not there are any divine agents in control of said universe, and what happens after we die. Out of these primary lines of inquiry arise a range of secondary questions and conclusions, like how should we behave? This should is usually predicated upon the promise of long-term reward or punishment. In a model in which there is an overarching divinity responsible for establishing and adjudicating a form of divine law, morality is a function of following the rules laid out by the god in charge. This is known as a vertical system of morality. Killing or physically assaulting someone is deemed unethical because it goes against the will of the creator, not because it causes suffering to others. And in order to discourage this transgression, there is often the punishment of hell. A more horizontalist approach might say killing is wrong because it causes suffering to others and thus should be avoided on this basis, but this is not usually the approach taken in religion, because it is primarily interested in the big picture, the big questions. Naturally, one of these questions is a search for meaning. What is the meaning of life? But in most religions, the answer is simply to follow the rules laid out by the gods in charge in order to avoid punishment and receive rewards after death. In Christianity, this primarily revolves around belief. Most other religions prioritize conduct over belief, paying close attention to correct adherence to ritual disciplines and taboos, the maintenance of moral behaviors, etc., but in many cases, this all revolves around the idea of an afterlife, namely eternal paradise or eternal damnation, but this isn't always the case. It's notable that while the notion of hell predates Christianity, it is not elsewhere established as a domain of eternal torment that you can be sent to for believing the wrong things. In Buddhism, for instance, which has had hell for much longer than Christianity, a disbelief in the supremacy of the Three Jewels is not seen as a factor that leads to temporary rebirth in an array of hell realms. This fate is reserved for those whose experience is already dominated by hatred, particularly those who act upon their hatred through violence. But Christians would have us believe that the most important thing in life is to believe in the correct myth. They repeatedly teach that acts alone are not capable of securing a heavenly afterlife. It is faith in the existence and divinity of Jesus alone that leads to salvation. Some Christians believe that even those who have never heard of Jesus are condemned due to their lack of faith. 
while others believe that they are automatically saved by God's grace. The former position would be quite profoundly questionable morally, and the latter position would suggest that it would actually be far better for everyone to completely forget Christianity, so that everyone would be automatically saved. But if we reject this notion that there is some omniscient and omnipotent being who created us purely to test our ability to believe a particular story, then it becomes clear that belief itself isn't what matters, but rather the way that a story or idea influences the way that we live our lives. Unfortunately, Many Christians earnestly believe that while I'm burning in hell for being a gay atheist, even the most ruthless and genocidal dictators will live in eternal paradise as long as they accepted Jesus as their scapegoat or savior. Now, it's a bit more complicated in Catholicism with the inclusion of factors like confession and purgatory, but in any case, there is no need to actually augment one's behavior in life, but only to confess and atone for your sins against God, not against others, before moving on to heaven. As long as you believe the right story, you'll be fine. This is not how all religions operate, but this precise union of vertical morality and a faith-based ontology has had grave consequences throughout human history. It turns out, focusing on the so-called big questions can create a lot of problems. But are these really the big questions? I'm skeptical of this. In truth, we don't really need to know how the universe began. Depending on your definition, we still don't really know this, even on a scientific level. We know a bit about the circumstances surrounding the rapid expansion of this particular universe system, but we still don't know why the Big Bang happened in the first place, nor what preceded it, if anything. But that clearly doesn't matter for our lives here on Earth. While many would disagree, it doesn't appear that we need to know anything about any potential agents that might control our universe either. Knowledge of or belief in a creator does not prevent us from suffering or causing suffering. It doesn't prevent us from killing one another or from experiencing the horrors of war, famine, disease, or disaster. It doesn't stop people from killing themselves or others out of misery and rage. It doesn't make us more likely to win the lottery or sustain a relationship or to establish a just and peaceful society. If anything, it works precisely against these aims. More blood has been spilled in service to the Abrahamic God in all of his guises than any other being, real or imagined, in history. But myth does something altogether different. It doesn't attempt to systematically answer all of the unanswerable questions of the world. It's more earthly, more grounded. Myth pushes us to ask far more pragmatic questions about love and heroism, about the hearts and minds of others, and the infinite nuances of conflict. It pushes us to grapple with the realities of mortality without all of the paradisical spiritual bypassing. It helps us to find meaning not through following rules, but by experiencing the world in its fullness, through adventure, self-sacrifice, and wonder. As much as we may try, we humans cannot exist without myth. It's like our foundational operating system, helping us to establish a sense of self and the basis for our engagement with the world around us. 
Myth is the painted backdrop upon which we project our lived experience. But there are many kinds of myth, some helpful, some profoundly unhelpful. It isn't necessary for a story to be true in a factual sense in order for it to be valuable, nor does it need to be good in an ethical sense to produce inspiration. We never experience naked reality itself through our operating system, just like we don't look directly at our hard drive or the raw data in the cloud when we use our phone. As useful as it is to understand the concrete realities that our operating systems encode and present, facts and figures alone don't offer us the same kind of functionality that an operating system or, or an app does. This is fortunate, since most humans have very strong emotional attachments to stories which are not properly true, and we're unlikely to give those up. Nevertheless, some people think that this is the solution, to do away with all of the fallacious stories and only place value in scientific and historical facts. Everything else should be seen as entertainment, at most. But what if we took a different approach? What if we could accept that no religion, be it Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Zoroastrianism, or any other, is wholly founded upon factual truth, and yet still acknowledge the usefulness, the power, and the existential importance of stories? Instead of seeking to believe the correct story, we might start asking some more interesting questions about which kinds of stories may or may not be most valuable for enriching our lives, societies, and world. We might start to really investigate the ways that certain stories promote certain behaviors. It may be that some stories lead us towards callousness, cruelty, and the ruthless pursuit of power. Other stories might lead us towards empathy, enchantment, and inclusivity. If we stop arguing about which story is correct, thinking that this entirely faith-based procedure is going to score us a ticket to post-mortem immortality, then we can begin to critically assess which myths might be most effective in promoting health and happiness and a just world. To put it quite plainly, we don't need religion. We may certainly need many of the individual factors that comprise it, like myth, ritual, and a sense of meaning, but we don't need it in the form that it's usually presented to us. We don't need to believe anything in particular in order to be saved from eternal damnation. This is a profoundly dangerous and rather ridiculous myth that we can safely do away with. We don't need saving from anything other than our own cruelty and ignorance. We're not here to grovel and purify our sinfulness. We are here to live, to dance, to laugh, to grieve, to hope, and to love. Now, sometimes religious myths can be profound, but very often they aren't. A lot of times, religious myths are simply fantastical charter myths that use magic and historical revisionism to legitimize the instatement and supremacy of a particular religious institution. They aren't used to illuminate deeper truths, but rather to instill faith in a human institution. Because it's established as a source of legitimacy, these myths become overburdened with the expectation of belief. Nothing will kill a myth quicker. It ceases to be a story and becomes propaganda, often lethal in nature. 
In my opinion, this is a big part of the reason that fantasy, speculative fiction, and modern mythology is so important. We need stories for right now, for our world, this world. We don't need to believe them as absolute truth, we just need to take them seriously as a kind of operating system through which we can navigate the complexities of modernity, and indeed also the complexities of being human in a more than human world. I would argue that the basic premise that the role of religion is to answer the big questions of life is fundamentally just not true. It's only within a system of faith-based salvation and vertical morality that questions like, is there a God and how did he create the universe, have any sway over our lives whatsoever. It's certainly noble on a scientific level to investigate the physical nature of our world and the origins of our universe, but these don't really have any fundamental bearing on the ways that we live our lives. Even some of the most beautiful and profound religious traditions are distinctly transcendental and world-denying, eschewing the pursuit of happiness or fulfillment in this life in lieu of some kind of reward in the afterlife. Very few religions are concerned with how we should live in relationship with one another, rather focusing on how we should conduct ourselves as the subjects of our divine overlords. Even in cases where we're called to confess our wrongdoings, in most cases those confessions are offered to our divine judge, not to those that we've wronged in the first place. This is where myth and other forms of art lying outside the confines of belief are fundamentally distinct from religion. They're far more interested in relationship, in our lived experience here in these bodies on this enchanted and wondrous earth. I think this is perhaps most brilliantly articulated, perhaps unsurprisingly, by J.R.R. Tolkien. I'd like to leave you with a quote of his from his essay on Smith of Wooten Major, which is a fairy story that he composed in the latter part of his life, almost a decade after Lord of the Rings. And in the accompanying essay, he speaks directly about the relationship between religion and what he termed fairy, or fairy, the realm or dimension of enchantment in which fairies have their being. Tolkien writes, quote, Fairy is not religious. It is fairly evident that it is not heaven or paradise. Certainly its inhabitants, the elves, are not angels or emissaries of God. The tale does not deal with religion itself. The elves are not busy with a plan to reawake religious devotion in Wooten. He goes on to say, quote, Fairy represents at its weakest a breaking out, at least in mind, from the iron ring of the familiar, still more from the adamantine ring of belief that it is known, possessed, controlled, and so ultimately all that is worth being considered, a constant awareness of a world beyond these rings. More strongly, it represents love, that is, a love and respect for all things, inanimate and animate, an unpossessive love of them as other. This love will produce both ruth and delight. Things seen in its light will be respected, and they will also appear delightful, beautiful, wonderful, even glorious. He concludes in saying, This compound of awareness of a limitless world outside our domestic parish a love in Ruth and admiration for the things in it, and a desire for wonder, marvels, both perceived and conceived, 
This fairy is as necessary for the health and complete functioning of the human as is sunlight for physical life. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. This has been Eric Jampa Anderson with the Unseen Beings podcast. If you want to know more about my work, you can visit my website, ericjumpa.com, and of course, my book, Unseen Beings, How We Forgot the World is More Than Human. Until next time, take care. <laughs>